It's uh, it's Super Bowl weekend, but to me, every weekend is Super Bowl weekend because we get to celebrate the greatest event ever, amen? So we're here today to do that, and that is our our priority. I'm going to ask the guys to go ahead and come. They're going to take up offering while we get started today. Uh, I was thinking this week of the best movie sequels of all time, best movie sequels of all time. I have my votes, but I want to see a little feedback here. Uh, I want to get two or three responses from you guys. Uh, Best movie sequel of all time. Give give me a couple of them. What is it? Young Guns, all right. Back to the Future. Got it. What, what else? Indiana Jones. Somebody else said that first hour. How to Train Your Dragon 2. I, actually, I did research this week. That did make the top 100. Uh, I, I have my own. I'm just going to offer them to you today. They're debatable. All right, you can, you can argue with me if you want. Uh, Star Wars, The Empire Strikes Back, I thought was, uh, was one. The Godfather Part 2. Terminator 2, Judgment Day. Captain America, The Winter Soldier. For, for those of you who are kids or kids at heart, uh, Incredibles 2. Okay, I know, I know. Um, the Lord of the Rings, The Return of the King. Uh, maybe you guys like that one. Uh, some of you guys are definitely going to debate me on this one. Top Gun Maverick. Top Gun Maverick. I, I did do research this week. This is absolutely true. You can look it up. According to Rotten Tomatoes, the number one sequel of all time, this is, I'm not lying, Paddington 2. Paddington 2, you look it up, according to Rotten Tomatoes. I had some other honorable mentions, Rambo, Avatar, Born Ultimatum. Uh, we love a good sequel. And, and so as a church, we are really doing a sequel of a sermon series we did last year called Whole 30. So many people enjoyed that series that we decided to do it again with different messages, but the same idea, and that is how can we develop spiritual disciplines or spiritual habits that we can start for 30 days but can last us for a lifetime. And today, we're going to talk about two spiritual habits that really help to develop the soul. Your soul is that innermost part of you. When we talk about the soul as the deepest connection between two people. It's the deepest connection between us and God. And two of the ways that we connect on the deepest level with the Lord is through the disciplines of prayer and fasting. And so today, we're just going to dive right in on these two spiritual disciplines. And we're going to look at Matthew chapter 6, where Jesus talks about both of these. I said two weeks ago that often we pray, uh, the most often, uh, during two times. And these are the times where either we're needing something from the Lord, or we are disappointed with the Lord. In other words, we pray, God, help me, or God, why did you do this to me? And so these two times are the most times we're often likely to pray. But we need to change our mindset from seeing prayer as a last resort, and instead seeing it as a first priority. Martin Luther one time said, I have so much business to tend to that my day cannot begin without first spending two hours in prayer. But Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, verse 5, when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogue and on the street corners to be seen by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. Our prayers are to be heard by God, but not to, not to impress other people. Billy Graham seems to explain the true meaning of prayer well when he said prayer is a simple two-way conversation between you and God. 
It is not our using God. It, it more often is putting us in a position where God can use us. Verse, verse 6 of chapter 6, Jesus said, When you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Your Father, God, wants to hear from you. One of the biggest blessings for those of us who are parents or now grandparents. How many, can you give me a shout out for grandparents? Amen. Anybody? All right, thank you. Thank you so much. If you knew it was that fun, you'd have had more kids. You know what I mean? You just skip that whole part and go right to the grandparent thing. But anyway, so you go, hey, uh, we're going to love those times with our kids or our grandparents. Kids, you know what we enjoy the most? I, I enjoy those moments of just conversation. Those times where your child comes to you and gives you an answer that's more than, how are you doing? I'm doing fine, or I'm doing good. Uh, where they actually want to open up in some way, where there is now a heart-to-heart, soul-to-soul connection, where in some way your child is opening up to you, and that is a blessing. And you can create those moments, whether it be at their bedside at night, or uh, one of my favorites is when you're in the car with them, and they ha- you have a, an audience that they can't go anywhere. They're locked in there. And you could, you could even get lost for a little while. It's a little parent tidbit for you, all right? Oops, I don't know where we're going, but the conversation is so good. We're just going to keep it up. There's just a beautiful thing that happens between a parent and a child behind closed doors. And God is saying, listen, I love the opportunity to connect with you in that way, where you give an answer that's more than just, God, I want something from you, but I want to have a relationship with you. I want to connect with you. Verse 7, it says, And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like the pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father already knows what you need. The length of the prayer is meaningless. The depth of the prayer is what matters. Jesus sets that example for us as he gets up in the morning and he prays before the Lord. E.M. Bounds writes, Prayer was the secret of his power, the law of his life. To Jesus, prayer occupied no secondary place, a necessity, the satisfying of a restless yearning and preparation for heavy responsibilities. We're to pray. It's one of those disciplines that develops our soul with the Lord. Now, Jesus then in Matthew chapter 6 gives us a, a model prayer, and we're going to actually read this out loud and pray this together today, the Lord's Prayer. So if you just say it with me. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Some of you grew up in a church tradition where you recited this prayer even uh, weekly on Sunday that Jesus used this as a model for us, a model prayer. Look at the phrases here. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. That speaks of praise right from the beginning of the prayer where you're giving God his, his due. You're worshiping him. You're celebrating him. I heard of one little kid who prayed, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. He didn't, he didn't get it right, but he, the word hallowed means holy is your name. God, we praise you. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That speaks of priorities. That that means that, God, we want you to be our first priority. Your kingdom come, your values, what you want to have happen, 
That's what we want to have happen in the world and in our life. Your kingdom come. Give us this day our daily bread. That speaks of provision. When the Israelites wandered in the, ilder, when in the wilderness, God provided manna every day for them. And they would collect it and eat it that day. If they did not, then it would spoil. And God was teaching them a daily dependence on him. God, we pray for our daily needs. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. This is about personal relationships where we say, I want to enjoy real harmony with God, but in order to do that, you have to be willing to forgive your fellow man. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now we're asking for God's protection. One pastor said it's tough to pray this and have sin on the calendar. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, God says that he will deliver you. No temptation has seized you, but what is common to man. But God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But with the temptation, God will provide a way of escape. God, deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Finally, that prayer ends with praise. It bookends with praise. The beginning and the end. Now, it acts us in a way to kind of capture this model prayer we have an acronym called P-R-A-Y, and the P is praise. It's a great posturing of prayer when you start with just honoring God, hallowed be thy name, and then repent, which basically, God, forgive us our debts. We repent before you. We come clean before you. We lay down our crowns before you. And then you ask. Ask is not the first thing you do, but it's okay to say, God, give us this day our daily bread. And then he, at the end, the Y is for yield. No matter what, God, your kingdom come in our life. And I know this. In my own life, sometimes prayer changes things, but most often prayer changes me. It draws me closer to God in that soul connection. But then the other discipline is the discipline of fasting. And if, if, uh, if you ever want to draw a crowd, uh, don't announce on your church sign that today's message is on fasting, especially on Super Bowl Sunday when everybody wants to eat a lot, you know? Josh and Connor love to give me the tough topics. But anyway, so we're going to talk about fasting today. And fasting is one of those disciplines that's so often neglected. We see it in the Old Testament right from the beginning in Genesis and all through the Scripture. There are times where God has told us to fast. In fact, in the Old Testament, He commanded them to fast at least once a year on the Day of Atonement where the people would come before God with sacrifices and, and then he would, they would ask for forgiveness, and they would fast. But there were many other occasions. Even in our own country, we've had times where we fasted and prayed. In March of 1863, President Abraham Lincoln proclaimed a national day of fasting. He wrote, It is the duty of nations as well as of men to own their dependence on the overruling power of God, to confess their sins and transgressions in humble sorrow, yet with assured hope that genuine repentance will lead to mercy and pardon. That is not a bad advice for our country today. This topic is convicting because our attitude is often that prayer is a necessity, but fasting is an option. And one of the best ways that I know to shake off the me-focused attitude of us personally, as well as us as a country, is to let go of some of the basic things that we see as necessities and for a period of time focus on our relationship with the Lord 
instead of that physical thing. Many people are surprised to find there are more than 74 separate references to fasting in the Bible. It is never associated with weight loss or a hunger strike for political purposes. Fasting is the giving up of physical food for the specific spiritual goal in mind. There's actually more spirit teaching, more teaching in the Bible on fasting than there is on repentance or confession. We tend to shy away from this discipline. Why? Because food is such a big part of our life, such a personal thing. Richard Foster one time wrote, in a culture where the landscape is dotted with shrines to the golden arches and an assortment of pizza temples, fasting seems out of step with the times. Here in America, we have an abundance of food. Our whole society and social settings are surrounded by food. Fasting, because of that, is a challenge for us. We eat for recreation, our identity, and often our security is found in those times together. And those are beautiful times where you're eating together and offer hospitality. But there are also times where we say, God, I want to take this time where I would be eating, and I want to take a dedicated time for prayer and, and fasting before you. Matthew chapter 6, verse 16 It says, when you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show men they are fasting. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. The Pharisees would make their faces look pale. They'd put ashes on their face. And people would say, oh, you don't look well. And their response would go something like, oh, I'm okay. Sometimes I look a little peaked when I fast for three days. It'd be like me straining my way up the stairs to preach today and then starting my message like this. I, guys, I, I'm just a little fatigued today. My voice is a little bit weak, excuse me. I've been fasting this month and I'm just not as strong as I used to be. The goal isn't for people to know what you're doing. In Jesus' day, that, that was just how the Pharisees acted. They wanted people to put them on a pedestal of piety. And they enjoyed that. But Jesus shakes his head and says, they've already received their reward, the praise of men. True fasting revolves around intimacy with God. To say, God, I want to take a break from eating this meal or eating this day or eating this three days because I want to spend time with you. Matthew chapter 6, verse 17 says, But when you fast, Put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to men that you're fasting, but only to your Father who's unseen. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Look normal. Act normal. You don't have to pray all day when you fast. Just carry on your daily routine. Just don't have that normal meal or snack time. And when you do, have prayer time. Jesus tells us to anoint your head with oil. In other words, Look happy and act normal while you're fasting. Don't look like a bucket of gloom. Don't alert those to your hunger that day. Just spend time with the Lord. Remember, the definition of fasting is bypassing the opportunity to eat for a spiritual purpose. purpose. And there's a misconception that fasting is a method of losing weight. And that is true in the physical world. And there's a, some data on that. And you can read that. But our purposes are spiritual. The Bible never alludes to just weight loss or weight loss at all when it comes to fasting. It's always for a spiritual purpose. So let me give you some guidance on fasting. When do you do it? In the Bible, they did it during times of distress, during threat of war, sickness, 
during mourning after the death of someone, during commemoration of a calamity in the past, prior to ordaining someone or setting them apart for ministry, or prior to making a spiritual decision. When should you fast? Some people say, well, when in terms of how long should I do it? One seasoned veteran said, start with one day fast, where you allow yourself fruit juice or skip breakfast and lunch, and after the sun sets, then eat well. After you've done this a number of times, gradually move to a two or three day fast. Wait on God. He will indicate to your spirit how long you need to fast. Fasting gives you an opportunity to spend time saying, I want to focus my attention on the Lord. Why do you fast? One way is to discipline yourself. Bill Bright says, fasting transforms us to transform the world. Don DeWell writes, fasting can be God's catalyst to thrust us into a whole new world. Jesus said, if anyone's going to come after me, he must deny himself. Christ is speaking of a disciplined life, a life that denies itself certain things from time to time. There are other things to fast from as well. Some of you might have some physical, uh, something physically that doesn't allow you to fast, or maybe you've checked with your doctor, it doesn't seem like a good idea. Then fast from a cellular device for a day, or fast from evening television for two weeks, or say, I'm not going to listen to worldly music for a week. Like food, it doesn't mean that those things are necessarily sinful. It means that during that stretch of time, you're going to deepen your fellowship with your Heavenly Father. But when you fast from food, every time you have a hunger pain, each time your stomach growls, it's going to remind you, God, I'm going to spend some time with you. I want to focus on my relationship with you. It's disciplining yourself. In his book, Spirit of the Disciplines, Dallas Willard writes, Think about it. I'm hungry, but I don't have to eat. These disciplines train our body and personality to be able to want something but not get it. Talking about delayed gratification. Richard Foster says, fasting reveals things that control us. The first is discipline. The second one is devotion to God. It communicates in those moments that you are serious about wanting to pursue spiritual things more than physical things. It communicates a dependence on God. You remember some of the situations in the New Testament where we see fasting. Jesus himself fasted after his baptism and before beginning his ministry. And we see that Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. And he fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, and he was hungry. I would guess so. That's why the temptation of the devil was so tempting, because he said, you can turn these stones into bread. But Jesus said, it's written, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Before Paul and Barnabas were set aside for their mission trip, in Acts chapter 13, they fasted and prayed. And it says, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. Likewise, in Acts chapter 14, verse 23, we read that Paul and Barnabas then appointed elders for them in each church and prayed and fasting, committed them to the Lord in whom they had put their trust. We pray and we fast. Billy Graham described fasting by using an illustration. He said, if you've ever been out on a boat and you draw close to the shore, you attach a rope to something. You turn off the motor And you use that rope to pull yourself in. 
you are not pulling the shore to you, you are pulling yourself to the shore. And that is what happens when we fast. We are pulling ourselves closer to God. James said it this way, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Now, several years ago, I was very convicted on this topic. I'd been in a seminar where the leaders of the seminar were leading us through the story of Nehemiah where he rebuilt the wall of Jerusalem. And in that story, they gave us several disciplines that he went through. One of them was prayer. One of them was a holy discontent with the status quo. And I was high on that one. Holy discontent with the status quo. One of them was the scripture Uh, And he gave other disciplines, but one of them was fasting. And he asked us to take a little survey and order these in priority. Which one do we do the most often and which one are we the worst at? And then he asked the crowd, which was filled with pastors, which one did you say you're the worst at? You guys already know when he got to fasting, everybody was like, that's the worst. I'm the worst at that one. And then the leader said this. He said, we take this survey of leaders all over the world. And he said that when we ask this question in other countries, fasting is the highest discipline. And then he said this, and this is what convicted me. He said everywhere that we go where we see revival happening around the world, fasting is the greatest discipline. And so that convicted me. And that year we were asking our church uh, to go through a time of fasting. And extended fast, maybe three days, maybe 10 days, maybe 21 days, maybe 30 days. And as a leader, I felt convicted that if I was going to lead this effort, then I needed to be a part of this effort and set that example. And so I said, I'm going to go on that 30-day fast. Now, I allowed myself to drink juice. I had grape juice, I had grapefruit juice, and I had tomato juice. There was something about those three different flavors that caused me to get through it. I will say, however, that when Lisa was eating Skyline Chili at about week three, I wanted to drink the juice in the bottom of the bowl. I I did lose a lot of weight, but that wasn't the goal of the fast. In fact, I didn't need to lose weight. Uh, But I will say this. You might say, well, was there a lightning bolt that came from heaven that caused you to learn different things? What was it like when I've been on other extended fasts, a couple week fasts? I'll admit, I have not made it part of my regular routine, and I need to. But on those moments, in those extended fasts, here's what happened to me. Yes, I spent time with the Lord in prayer. Yes, I spent some time journaling and reading the scripture. But more than that, I sensed within my own spirit, number one, that I learned there were some things that I was taking in that I didn't need to take in, and my body didn't need as much as I thought that it did in terms of the food, and maybe I should make different choices. That was one thing. Second thing was that the Lord drew me closer to Him personally. There were moments where I just felt a greater dependence on the Lord. But thirdly, and this is the one that was most surprising, God revealed some things about me personally, whether it be my personality or some things in my own life that needed to be attended to that would not have been revealed to me, I think, in any other way except for a time where I denied myself and said yes to Christ and his 
will for my life. And I want to encourage you, during this 30 days, what we are all doing is committing three days of fasting. It could be three days all together. If you do that, let me encourage you to go into it wisely. Maybe go ahead and go into it by saying no to caffeine for a few days. Because if you just cut everything cold turkey, you're going to have a pretty massive headache. There's a lot of research on how to lead into an extended fast, but just make sure that you cut down before you get started in your fast if you're going to go three or more days. But I want to encourage you, as you get into it, maybe you go one day. Now, if you go one day, you'll be able to do it. And you take that fast, and you just say, today, I'm not going to eat. I'm going to focus my attention on the Lord. And we're asking everybody to just take three days, whether it be one each week or three all at one time, where you are fasting before the Lord and praying. And so there, that creates this devotion to the Lord. Here's another thing, is it helps us discern His will. David fasted when his son was ill in 2 Samuel chapter 12, and he pleaded with God for the child and tried to help determine the Lord's will. But in this case, the child actually did pass away, and David continued to serve the Lord. In the scripture, King Jehoshaphat was worried about an army that was coming after them, and so he fasted and prayed in 2 Chronicles chapter 20. Uh, we read in the book of Nehemiah that when he went to ask the king permission to rebuild the wall of Jerusalem, he prayed and he fasted in Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 4. When we go and fast before the Lord, we are discerning the Lord's will for our life. And we're saying, God, would you give me clarity in this way? I think another thing that fasting does is it helps us to demonstrate repentance. Jonah went to the Ninevites and told them that God was going to destroy their city. And because of that, they heard from the Lord, they believed God, and they declared a fast, all of them from the greatest to the least, and God then did not destroy the city. The people repented. In the book of Joel, chapter 2, it says, Even now declares the Lord, Repent, re return to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning. Rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. He relents from sending calamity. Fasting aligns our will with God's, and it also demonstrates repentance. Now, really quickly, can I just give you some types of fast in the Bible? Three types of fast in the Bible. One was a normal fast. The first time we ever see fasting is in Genesis chapter 24, where uh, Abraham's servant fasted just from food, but not from water. The servant of Abraham said, I will not eat until the message of the Lord is given. And so there was an opportunity for him to not eat so that he could give the message from the Lord. There were also absolute fasts. Now, those were rare, and they're not much recommended, especially for an extended period of time. This is where you're fasting from food and liquids. We do see that in the life of Jesus. We also see it in the life of Moses, who fasted for 40 days when he was receiving the Ten Commandments. And you say, how could someone even survive that? The only way Moses could survive that is he was in the very presence of the Lord himself. That was a miracle. In Jonah chapter 3, when Jonah finally does go to Nineveh by way of uh, the fish, he expresses the call upon the Lord for people to repent. And when they do, they all uh, join in. And the Bible says even their animals fasted before the Lord. 
I don't think that would work well with my great Pyrenees. Amen. But, uh, but they fasted before the Lord. That's how serious the town was about fasting. It was an absolute fast. And then there were partial fasts where they fasted from certain foods or certain liquids. In the book of Daniel, it speaks of that kind of fast, not from food, but from wine, rich foods, and fancier cuisine. And when I read that, I realized I have a partial fast every day of my life. Amen. I don't, I don't eat uh, caviar, and I don't have lobster very often, and I don't drink wine. And so I guess I'm on a partial fast. <laughs> it's just not for a spiritual purpose, just because I don't buy that stuff. I don't know. But be careful there and say, well, hey, I want to make sure. I mean, what I, said, what I mean is you may want to say, I don't wanna, I'm not going to drink wine for a period of time. I don't personally drink wine as a choice, but you may choose to do that for a period of time. You may choose to do that when it comes to types of food. You may say, I, I'm not going to uh, eat these cert- certain types of things. I've had people say all kinds of different things with that, that they've had different things that maybe their favorite food. I'm going to take a break from that in a way to, to demonstrate uh, an allegiance to the Lord. You choose. The Lord will lead you into the right thing to do. And, uh, but consider fasting. Pray about it. Deny yourself. Take those three days and spend time away focusing on the Lord. Do your normal duties. And as you do it, and as you're prepared to have lunch, take some time away. And uh, instead of eating lunch that day, spend time in the Lord's Word and pray. And make this between you and the Lord. Don't make a big announcement out of it. Tell your prayer partner or your spouse or a friend that this is what you're doing. But other than that, you just keep it between you and the Lord. I remember years ago when I had a uh, kidney stone. Anybody ever had a kidney stone? Raise your hand real high and proud. Anybody? All right, a few of you. <laughs> I don't recommend it. Um, I was so sick. It was caught between my kidney and my bladder, apparently. I'd never had one, so in my mind, I just told myself, you can gut this thing out. You can make it through anything, you know. And uh, I remember uh, sitting there. I was so sick that day. I kept drinking water thinking I would pass it. And uh, it made, just made me sick. I got sick all day long. And, and I was there one day, and I, I was thinking to myself in one moment of delirium, how much could I tolerate before I give up national secrets, you know? I mean, what would be the torture level where you'd have to give up national secrets? Well, all day, my dad had been calling me, and he was trying to get me. My mom was behind the scenes saying, you need to take him to the hospital. He needs to go to the hospital. And I kept answering my dad, no, I'm going to take care of it. I'm going to be all right. I'll take care of it on my own. And uh, he's like, okay, all right, you need to go to the hospital. And uh, finally, after many, many hours, it was toward the afternoon, toward the evening, actually, my mom said, if you don't go get him, I'm going to go get him. And so he comes and gets me and takes me to the hospital. And I go to the emergency room, and I see a doctor there. Her name was Dr. Nicely. I'll never forget. And I begged Dr. Nicely, Dr. Nicely, don't make me have surgery. I can pass this on my own. And she said, your kidneys are failing. They are shutting down. You are not passing any liquid. And in a kind of a, I'll give you a little private moment here, um, but it's funny. I didn't tell first service this, but hey, we're all friends here. And it's online, so the whole world are here. But anyway, um, but she said, uh, I said, Dr. Nicely, I want to preach in two days. I've got to preach in two days. I said, let me just drink more water. And I had a gallon of water there. And uh, I said, I'm just, she said, I'll give you an hour. I said, okay. And I just drank everything I could possibly drink in that hour. I was like, come on, we're going to pass this thing. She said, if you produce some liquid, and if it's a fair amount, then maybe we'll see. I said, okay. She knew very well that wasn't going to happen. 
She came back in the room. She gave me a cup. She said, hey, see what you can do. It's the tiniest little bit, like, look, whatever. And she was like, she said, well, that's it. I was so, I was proud of myself. I was like, that's it, doctor. I did it. She said, you're going upstairs. We're going to take it out. And uh, sure enough, they sent me upstairs and, and uh, went into surgery, and they took it out. But one of the moments that I remember that was a really meaningful moment in my life, I, Dad had been with me uh, that whole uh, time there after the hospital, and I told him that I wasn't going to be able to preach, and I wanted to be able to do that. And he said, oh, I'll take care of it. I'll, I'll do it for you. Now, he could have gone off to his office and prepared a message, and he could have been writing that and been away from me. But he went and he got his notes and he brought it there in the hospital and he was sitting there over in the corner chair and he, I, I woke up from whatever drugs I was on and he was over there just writing his message out. He was going to be preaching for me. And that moment spoke to me because what it said was, I'm willing to go through some inconvenience. I want to go the extra mile because I, I love you and because I want to be with you. And, and I think that that is really an expression of kindness, an expression of love. And when you are fasting, what you're saying to your father is, God, I want to spend some time with you. I want to inconvenience myself a little bit. I know I have things on my agenda, but I want to take a break from whatever those are because I want to serve you. And that's what we do when we fast. We are spending time with our father. We're spending some time saying, God, I just want a relationship with you, and I want to say no to myself, and I want to say yes to you. So over the next 30 days, what you're going to do is you're going to uh, say, uh, take those time, take those three days, and you spend some time in dedicated prayer and fasting, and maybe it will become one of those habits uh, that you'll have on a regular basis that will draw you closer to the Lord. Lord, we thank you today for your scripture. Thank you for what it teaches us. Thank you for these disciplines that you've taught us how to do. And God, uh, I pray that all of us would say, we want to take uh, these moments uh, when we have something special in our life that we need uh, to pray for. Or maybe uh, we have an occasion or an illness, or maybe we have a big decision, or maybe we are setting aside something in our lives. And you say, I want you to fast and pray for those moments. And so God, pray for that. Pray for this uh, wholeness series and pray, Lord, that we would spend these times that it would teach us to say no to ourselves and to go the extra mile and to say yes to you. And we pray this and thank you in Christ's name.